everyone. I'm Audio Nerd 64. And I'm Big Nakuma. And, and we are your game of I'm keeping it short and sweet. Thank you. I appreciate it because we have a long interview to get through. And this is the new format. We're diving deep. We're, we're talking about a lot of D&D stuff. A lot of D&D. Racism. Oof. Racism. Plots. Mechanics. Slavery. Slavery. Racism. Nah, slavery. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Sorry, I was too busy being funny. Hmm. Hmm. Well, Jay, our guest, is uh, also pretty good at being funny. I would agree with that. I would agree. I would agree. So we hope you enjoy. We're really excited about this. And I don't know. I think it's possible we're actually going to impact the conversation with this episode. And, and I think that that's important. All right. Well, let's get into it. Gamer friends, we have a special treat for you today. Resident hater. <laughs> <laughs> He's abandoning his hate. Sorry, sorry, ways. you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Former resident hater, comic book aficionado, and tabletop expert. Some might say correspondent. Jay is here. Welcome to Gamer Friends. Hey. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me back. On Gamer Friends. Of course. It's very funny, too. So, like, when you sent the recording for the last episode, you were like, oh, I hope to be back. Know it full well. We have plans to bring you back. That was... I did. I did know I did that. Know was that. Cute. You know, I, I want... It was a teaser. It was a teaser for the people. You know, just, <laughs> just get, them a little, get some salad in a little bit. Just give them a little juice. Get, get a, little, a little juice, a little something to grab onto. A little, yeah, little post-credit That's what... So I, I think that, you know, based on, so this was part of what we were discussing before we hopped on the mic, but I do think that, like, we do live in a media age right now where I think it's unfortunate more important than giving people content that they actually want to consume or that content is good, right? Because I think those are still two very different camps of content. Because mm-hmm. I think you need to, you need to build up, like, the cir- the bread and circuses around the content, Right. Like for the longest time, it was like wild that we even had like Comic Con as a thing, right? But now Disney's like, oh, we don't even need Comic Con. We'll do our own Comic Con. We show off our own things, and y'all won't even get to see the trailers. But people will live tweet these for hours on end, right? You got to build up the spectacle. That's what I was trying to build. Trying to build up the the gamer friend spectacle. Like, oh, so when people go back and listen to that, they hear the episode. Oh my god, Jay's back. That's amazing. That's what they're gonna do. (laughs) (laughs) I hope someone did that as you were saying it right there. Shout out to that one listener. I love you. I love you specifically. <laughs> if there's just one person who's like, I'm glad this guy's on the podcast again, that's it. That's all I need. That's all I need. That's all, just going. one. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate more, but you know. All right. We got to get into some serious business. As I say, you are a resident tabletop correspondent, and D&D has been in some hot water. Mm. There has been a, a controversy in the, in the land of Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Can I do my best as an ignorant and generally unattached mm-hmm. observer mm-hmm. of the tabletop space? Mm-hmm. Sure. Why don't we start with that context? Yeah. Let me try to contextualize it, and then Jay can laugh either laugh and and retell the whole thing <laughs> or just, like, patch up the holes or whatever. 
Sometimes black people play tabletop games. Yes. And D&D, over the course of the past, like, five years, has really been making an effort to be more inclusive of people of color, specifically a lot of black people, queer people, women, etc. They have really been trying to diversify and, may I even say, decolonize the space. So over the years, there have been some tropes that were really built into the rule set that certain races, certain creatures, etc., were just always evil. And there's been a movement as part of this reclamation to get rid of that, to allow for agency amongst all these different types of characters and races and, and things like that. And that has culminated in a new rule set that is relatively recent. And one of the new additions is a race of space-faring monkeys, I guess you could say. And those monkeys have nothing to do with human beings. And the course of their evolution was different and influenced by magic and a whole other course of things. And there are a group of people who believe that that representation, that that characterization is de facto racist against Black people specifically, and that D&D should be ashamed forever, uh, deigning to put something like that out into the world. And as a result, D&D has apologized made some kind of edits or promised to make some kind of edits and is pledging to do better in the future, again, with the context of all these modernization, in quotation marks, that they're trying to do to be more inclusive of non-white, non-male, non-straight gamers. So I would say that that is a, like, 65% 65% accurate summation. Okay. Of the, of the, Honestly, like, I'm proud of myself. That's It's passing. 65 is not passing. Oh, wait, you're right. 65 is... If is I was a, a teacher, 65 would be passing. This 64 is, is a failing grade. Mm. Mm. So you're mostly right. There has been a new edition, a new playtest material has been released called 1D&D. We don't know if it's going to be the 6th edition of D&D, a 5.5 edition, they keep saying it's going to be compatible with the current 5th edition materials. I truly don't believe that that's actually going to be the case, but like it just depends on what it ends up looking at the end, right? And so, yes, you were accurate that there has been kind of a fan movement that has been taken up by Wizards of the Coast to remove race-based alignment, right? People have kind of like pushed back against the idea that certain races and creature types had a kind of built-in alignment because there's this kind of uncomfortable argument that like oh if all of these creatures are always the same they're all evil that means it's okay to kill them all the time and it's okay and you know a lot of people for example have always felt like orcs have had an uncomfortable historical parallel to like black people and like the the savage african trope but like really they kind of are based on the trope of like mongolian savages right but i think because of who kind of has the most presence and visibility 
in the sort of like woke progressive D&D space, you're not going to mm. see like a lot of Mongolian players saying like, oh, I think orcs are racist. It's going to be black people saying, oh, I think orcs are racist, right? And for X, Y, and Z reasons. So what is kind of combined with that, which has fed into the controversy over the Hadozi, who are the, this new simian race, is that a lot of people truly believe that in order for D&D to be inclusive, that there can be no innate abilities tied to player character race biology. It becomes a thing where it's like, so it's problematic for the dragon, dragonkin to be able to, the dragonborn to be able to breathe fire. Is it problematic that the tabaxi, who are cat people, have claws and teeth? Like, I, I don't really understand, like, where this kind of idea is coming from, but it is a, it is a thing that was floated after the D&D playtest material was put out about, like, a month ago or so, right? Most notably with people saying that, like, it's racist for dwarves to have tremor sense, which is essentially dwarves having, like, echolocation because they live in mountains and caves and caverns and things of that nature. That is, I would say, definitely still a, a a rather minority position within the we need to change this thing in order to make the game more inclusive, right? I think for the most part, those people are not really listened to and they're not being catered to by Wizards of the Coast. So I would understand if if like there was basically a race of Black people and their innate trait was they can eat a lot and then take a nap or something. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that would be, okay, a little on the nose. Is there some kind of societal thing where we think little people have echolocation? Like, where where does the connection even come from that someone would be offended by that, A, and B, what, what is the motivation to even think that? I, I just want to understand where that comes from, even though it already seems like it's pretty ridiculous and isn't, being taken that seriously. Well, I, I can't tell you where exactly it comes from, right? Because I because I, I don't agree with it, right? I think it's kind of silly. But one thing I have noticed is that when I do, you know, when you check the Twitter accounts and the blog posts of people who do kind of hold this position, it seems that they feel that characters should be more like more of a blank palette you can attach traits to rather than mm-hmm. any specific race of characters already having traits associated with it. I can't say that's a completely outrageous kind of game design. Because there's actually a ton of RPGs that do, in fact, handle race and species that way for their characters. But instead of just playing one of those games, people kind of insist that like that D&D is racist for having innate biological traits in its fantasy creatures, right? I truly don't understand why people think that like dwarves being able to do things that elves can't do or elves being able to do things that humans can't do. Right, like the thing about elves is elves live like 500 years. Most humans don't, right? So we want to get rid of elven immortality. We want to get rid of the fact that elves also don't need to sleep. They just kind of have to like meditate for 20 minutes because there's a lot of sort of, this is like really built into, it's really baked into the game that like all of these different fantasy races all have their own kind of innate skills. And that's what makes, what's what I personally think makes kind of playing 5th edition D&D really fun. Right. Like yeah. I brought this up with my friends. We played a game the other night. We were playtesting an adventure that I'm writing and getting ready to publish. And they had a lot of fun just making new characters for this adventure instead of just reusing old characters from previous adventures we've done. Because, like, a fun part of fifth edition is looking at all the sort of traits and things available to you and um, figuring out how to make a fun new character that you can 
murder NPCs and guards with. So I have a follow-up question for you. Yes. Because of what we're going to talk about, I was kind of making the assumption that they had seen some relevant connection to real-life people in all of these kinds of characters, or at least some of these characters. And I guess that's well, not necessarily the case. Well, well, I, well I was going to follow up before, before my dog started barking. So <laughs> I think another thing that ended up being kind of controversial about the playtest packet is that something that 5th edition characters have always kind of... If you've ever dm fifth edition, you've had this happen when someone wants to make a character, right? So as part of the sort of suite of racial options in the player's handbook, a player can be a half-orc or you can be a half-elf, right? You cannot play like a full orc. You can play a half-orc. You can play someone who has an orc for a parent and you are half, generally either human or elf or something else. As well as being able to play an elf or a human, you can also play someone who is the child of an elf and a human. So you can be a half-elf. And so something I've always encountered, right, and other DMs should chime in if this is not the case, is that, like, a lot of times players will see this and they'll be like, oh, well, can I be a half unicorn? Can I be half Genasi and half tiefling, right? Like, why can't I just be two halves of two funky things and see what kind of character that would make? And, you know, like, for the most part, if you want to be a by-the-book GM, you'll not allow that, right? Or they added in Natasha's supplement, like, last year this thing called custom lineage, which basically it just reduces your character down to the most basic of stats that you can have. So you can essentially flavor your character as whatever you want and you're not sort of beholden to any particular thing. But in this new playtest material, they released rules of like, oh, well, here's how you make a character who's half one thing and half of another thing. Because they know that's something that people have requested for so long, right? There actually is a, mind you, this is this is a free plug for this material. I'm not getting a cut of this ad. I should. Um, but like, there's a, <laughs> no, no, there is a, there's a fifth edition supplement. There's two of them called an elf and an orc had a little baby. I think it's a really high quality product that really takes seriously the idea of having a character be from different sort of ancestries. And I think if you mm-hmm. are a fifth edition DM, and this is something players have asked you about, and you really like to sort of, really get in the weeds and get nitty-gritty with it. It's something that's, like, super crunchy in terms of, like, stats and backgrounds. Highly recommend taking a look at both of these supplements. I checked it out. I found it to be very high-quality material. I like it, which is why I would recommend it. What ended up in the playtest material, right, was not super high-quality in terms of, like, being super crunchy in terms of mechanics. It basically just said, if you want your character to be half of one thing and half of another thing, it looks like one parent and has the abilities of the other parent, right? Which... A lot of people said they felt like that was an offensive way to represent mixed race heritage and being mixed raced. With a lot of people saying that, like, which is the coach should not proceed with this material unless they're willing to hire some mixed race sensitivity readers and consultants. I do not think that what look, I'm also I'm also not a mixed race person, but I also don't think that like saying if your dad is an orc and your mom is a dwarf. And you look like one of them and you have the abilities of the other. Like, I don't feel like that's somehow offensive to mixed race people. I don't see that as something a mixed race person should take offense to. <laughs> but maybe, maybe they're I'm gonna be honest with you yeah. and say that if you in this day and age in 2022 are identifying as mixed, that's what you want. That's the kind of character that you want in life because you're trying to hold on to both. Mm. I can't comment, Jordan. I can comment. Jordan can say whatever the fuck he wants <laughs> in this situation. I, I could just sit here and nod 
and be like, okay, that's an interesting perspective. To let's just use myself as an example. If you want to claim mixed heritage, it means that what you're trying to do is continue to claim non-black heritage in such a way that it is significant enough that you want it to be recognized by other people. No one walking down the street is going to call me the wrong racial slur. (laughs) Like, I'm going to get clocked. For me to then say, oh, no, sir, this is the correct one, I'm hanging on to some some white supremacy. I had this exact argument with a friend of mine our freshman year of college. We were having this same argument where he kept being like, oh, no, I'm mixed. Everyone can tell I'm mixed. I'm like, bro, like, one of these, like, white sorority girls is going to call you a nigger. And, like, you're not going to like that shit. And <laughs> not, not, not even a month. And this was, like, within, like, our first month of, of freshman year. And not even a That's month rough. later. He hits me up and he's like, bro, like, I was at a party last night and Shorty really called me a nigger. And I'm like, I'm sorry that happened to you, but I told you that was going to happen to you. Like, and I, and I would also say that this, this particular friend, like, since then, like, he is for sure, like, you know, kind of dropped the, like, oh, I'm mixed. Look at the Obama era kind of non-racialness we're living in. Like, I think he realized, like, that is a, that was a fantasy, that, that that's not kind of really how things go. And, and I think that also kind of feeds into, like, a, a kind of third tension that has existed in the tabletop space around this, which is that, like, a lot of people really want D&D to drop the term race because they think it is problematic and that they would prefer that the term, like, species be used or heritage or lineage. And, I mean, to be honest, like, I think there's other games that do it just fine. I've played them. I don't think it fundamentally makes that much of a difference. I mean, to me, like, it would probably make more sense for us to stop using the word race in real life when referring to humans of different groups because we are all the same species versus like a space monkey and a space hippo or not. Like they are, they are not exactly the, they're yeah. not the same species. They are different. They are different races, right? Like, like in Lord of the Rings, when he's like, Oh, and the races of middle earth, I'm like, that makes sense because there are different races on middle earth. Like there's elves, there's dwarves, there's golems, there's hobbits. I think Gandalf yeah. is in, I don't know, Gandalf is like an angel or something. I'm not a Lord of the Rings guy, so I don't really know what his deal is. I don't think the term race and how race has generally been handled in D&D uh, in 5th edition, I don't think it's super bad. I know that, like, in past editions, I think things have been worse. And I think that's also been something that's, that also fed into what we do want to talk about, the Sadozi controversy. I think a lot of people kind of use the game's past missteps, you know, missteps from before it was even owned by the people who own it now, right? Not that I'm trying to, like, defend this corporation because I don't fucking care about which is the coast. I got beef with them on many other levels. But I think that, like, <laughs> when someone's just like, well, look at this thing, look at this horribly racist thing that D&D published in 1983. And I'm like, all right, but you had to, like, go and look for that because it's 2022 and, like, that stuff isn't even really republished now, right? Like, why don't you just admit that you pirated that because you wanted to do a Twitter thread about something to be offended by? Let's just be real. So actually, that brings up an interesting point. I think I know the answer to this, but do you feel that, like, the controversy with the Hadozi is comparable to anything that is definitely racist from prior editions? Well, I mean, I think we should, you know, for listeners, I think we should just get into the Hadozi controversy so we can. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, let me let me clarify what that is. So essentially, um, one one you, second, one second, yeah. one second. Before you, I just want to make sure that 
our mixed race listeners <laughs> understand that I know that there is a difference between being able to acknowledge and celebrate heritage and also recognizing the way in which you're perceived and the degree to which you wanting to correct that, in my personal opinion, might have more to do with like how you perceive that for yourself. But like, I'm not trying to be out here and say that folks that are Black and Asian can't be celebrating both or you have to choose one or any of that kind of stuff. That's not what I believe. And at some other point, we can have more of a conversation about that. But the the conversation was flowing in such a way that I didn't want to stop it and say that, but I did want to say that no, before no, we got no, no, too far I, away from no, and I, I appreciate you making that point. And, and you know, I think something I want to add, right, because I, I don't want to seem like I think in the past, not because of on your podcast, but like in conversations with people, I've been accused of just being very dismissive towards mixed race people and, and their struggles. Um, I'm a black man who has a Mexican wife. I would love to have a child one day. You know, it's it's something that like we talk about, you know, just, you know, looking at the world, we got monkey poxes and climate change. I don't, I don't even know if I want to subject a baby to, to this jibber jabber. Like that would be fucked up. Like, but you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, we I have family members and we have friends who've like, said things to us about like oh well your baby would be so cute you know like they, they've they said like weird kind of like oh well you know just people have made kind of weird comments from just like well are you talking about eugenics like what 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 are we, what are we doing right? like, <laughs> yes oh, well, yes, yes we are the cutest they're like oh the hair would be so i'm like don't talk about my baby's theoretical hair like that's weird like it's a weird that's a weird comment to me right that that is a weird thing you know yeah and something i tried to say cognizant of you know because like god yeah. forbid like i wouldn't want to have a kid who grows up with all that weird kind of mixed race baggage type shit. Like, I don't want, I don't want them crying on Twitter about like feeling, oh, I didn't feel black enough or Mexican enough. It's like, shut up. You got tortillas and you got sauce spoil. Like, you're fine. Um, I'm so embarrassed about that phase of my life and anything that people who are parents of mixed race children can do to stave off that nonsense is, is really going to go a long way. It 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 had to be unlearned because really what I figured out eventually was that I was putting a lot of the energy out there that made Black people like not want to fuck with me all that much when I was younger. Mm. And when I corrected that, a lot of other things fell into place. So I'm just saying, if you're a little upset, maybe think about, you know, how you're attached mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. attached to some fucked up ideals. But anyway. I mean, it, the Hodes, the Hodezy, the Hodezy, Hodezy, the Hodezy. I've been saying Hodezy. Oh, I don't know. It's, as far as I'm concerned, it's an internet word. I've only read it. I've never heard someone speak it, so I don't care how it's pronounced. Right. So, uh, so basically, Wizards recently published a, a new box set um, in the Spelljammer setting. So, Spelljammer is kind of like you ever seen like Treasure Planet, the, the movie? movie? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, like the flying ships in space. That's Spelljammer. It's basically D and D's answer to D and D in space. But instead of having spaceships, there are boats. There's an elfin empire that is kind of akin to, like, the Star Wars empire in this book. Like, they literally have a fucking Death Star. Like, they're not taking big creative swings, right? And I and I will just put out there before <laughs> I say anything else to any, like, listeners who are 5th edition DMs or players and they're interested in Spelljammer. Because I always, I, I personally think the older legacy Spelljammer material is very high quality. Has a lot of stuff that you can easily port to your game right now. I think what they published in this recent edition is, I think it's bad. I think it's low quality. I think the adventure itself is very poorly written. I would not recommend anyone, but like these books are just as thick 
as the previous box set books they released, but they're like, each book is like 64 pages. They just use like a thicker page stock. It's very deceptive. Like I picked up the book and I'm like, oh, these are about to be some content. And I'm like, no, there's like almost nothing. It was very deceptive on their part. I got it, like I got it on a discount, but it was still just sort of like, I don't like what they did. So one of the races included here are the Hadosi, right? Who are kind of a legacy race from previous editions of Spelljammer. And they're actually kind of borrowed and inspired by a race called the Yazirans, who are also flying space monkeys um, from an old game that TSR, which was the original company that published D&D. It was like their game called Star Frontiers, which is their space tabletop RPG game. So the Hadosi are kind of based on that race, right? Okay. And so the Hadosi the are basically, they're, they're flying space monkeys. Imagine a flying, flying squirrel, kind of flappy wings, just on a monkey. And so the controversy sort of arose because so the backstory for the Hadosi in this new edition is essentially that hundreds of years ago, a wizard and his apprentices visited this planet and he rounded up some of these flying space monkeys and he just captured a bunch of them. And he takes them back to his lab and he experiments on them with a potion and the potion makes them bigger, stronger, and able to talk. It gives them intelligence. And so the wizard's like, oh shit, like I gave them sentience, right? Like, oh, what if I go back and round up some more and I do some more of them? I could like sell them as an army of like flying monkey super soldiers. The anti Star Trek. Yes, the anti Star Trek. Right. Yes, he's 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 like <laughs> he's not giving a damn about any prime directive. He's like, no, 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 I'm going to go forcibly evolve this species, and then I'm going to sell them to the highest bidder. So a lot of people have already said this is problematic because this is slavery, right? And that D and D should not depict slavery in any way, shape, or form in any of its modern materials, right? So. Already, my contention with that is I'm like, well, this is a story about illegal animal experimentation, right? Like, it doesn't, it's not automatically a story about slavery just because he was going to sell them as a super soldier army. Like, yes, like, if this story furthered into, like, he spends years selling these monkeys off into slavery, that would be slavery. But right now, this story is just about animal experimentation. Are they, are they smart? Yes, the, yes, the potion, the potion did make them smart as well as bigger and stronger. Okay, let, let, let me let you finish because I think I heard what happens next. But anyway, yes, please continue. Okay. And then so basically what happens next is that the wizard's apprentices are just like, oh man, like these like flying talking space monkeys are kind of cool. Like we feel kind of bad. Like we probably shouldn't like sell them to be super soldiers. And so they set them free and then they roll up on their boss and they're like, yo man, we, we free the space monkeys. And the boss wizard is just like, no, fuck that. You guys are fucking my money up. I'm not trying to... <laughs> I'm not, this is not what my situation was. Y'all work for me. And then so they kill him, which is like fair. Right? Like, his, 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 you know, like he wanted to Shit. like experiment on and like sell off a species for his own personal gain. So like, fuck that wizard. They kill him. They bring the, the flying monkeys back to their home world and they give and they basically take the rest of the potion that he had and they use it on a bunch of their species. So they basically uplift the rest of their species into sentience. And then they they go on and become found their own civilization, and they become space travelers. Cool. <laughs> well, 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 I, I think this thing is cool. And when I bought this book, I thought that those were very cool. And then two weeks later, I'm on the internet seeing people making threads about how this too closely parallels racial tropes about Black people, and it closely parallels the transatlantic slave trade and how the one image of the Hadozi in the book looks like a minstrel caricature. And I'm sitting here and I'm just like, what the fuck are y'all talking about? I kind of wish black people got as far as they did. Where's our liberation? Listen, 
We got to kill the slave owners? When? Let me stop. Well, no, no. So, <sighs> so, so what? And so the argument that people have been making essentially is that like all of the different parts of this all together are what make it problematic, right? So the idea okay. is that like number one, the idea that like they are simians, so they're monkeys already is problematic, right? Right. Number two, because you know monkey is a slur that has been used against black people, so already them being monkeys is dodgy for people. And and you know, and I will completely say that like, and I and I admit this completely, like. I would 100% understand if why a black player, maybe at like a table with some white people, would not want to play a Hadozi character while playing with a bunch of white people they maybe didn't know that well. I would 100% understand that, right? So the second thing that people say is troublesome with this is that I'm just like, well, the wizard going and taking them is kind of just like a direct parallel to slavery, right? And that the wizard is, I guess, representative of Europeans. And that the experimentation, that the potion that he gave them that evolves them, right? They're like, oh, well, that's just kind of like the trope that Black people were just backward savages until Europeans like gave them culture and language. And then the other thing that people turn on is that one of the things that the potion does along with making the Hadozi bigger is it also gave them um, enhanced stamina, right? So people are like, well, this is like people saying that Black people don't feel pain as much. And the wizard's apprentices are like white saviors. So the Hadozi don't even get. Um, someone literally said the Hadozi don't have agency in their own backstory. And I'm just like, this is a cartoon monkey. Like, I don't really understand like what kind of agency you need them to have. Like, we don't know anything about their laws, their values. Like, at this point, they literally were flying in trees until they drank a potion and then they learned to talk. Like, I don't know what kind of agency you need them to have. Like, this isn't, we're not watching Planet of the Apes. We're reading the backstory for tabletop lore, whatever. And then people kind of say all of those things together are what make this problematic. And in particular, they say that the one image published in the book just reminds them too much of a minstrel caricature, which I think is really a reach. True, really and truly 100% a reach. Okay. Uh, where to begin? Oh my God. <laughs> um, so I, actually, I read the description and like the picture and saw the pictures and all that. And I was like reading through all the threads and stuff. And I made the joke that Jay had said, oh, the internet should just not have been made because everyone's really stretching here. And then we were talking about it tomorrow. And I was like, hmm, maybe Planet of the Apes just shouldn't have been made. Because I do, <laughs> it is weird. And I'll just, just to pick apart the first point that you made, we should mm-hmm. go through all of them. But the first part, I do think it's weird when something is like, we're talking about monkeys or primates, and we jump straight to black people. Agreed. Agreed. Because the thinking about this situation in particular, I'm like, well, if they were like whales or something, or like just not primates, would there be any that, controversy be, at all? Think yes, exactly. I think the answer is no. Let me let me chime in with what perhaps is going to be too much information about me personally. Okay, mm-hmm. great. I mean, this is a podcast, so like, yeah. just let loose. I. <laughs> have really, really, really been getting into anthropology recently. Mm-hmm. I grew up as a young Earth creationist. I was indoctrinated into right-wing Christianity nonsense bullshit. That is where I come from. I was never taught evolution. I believed that what people who believed in evolution thought was that a chimpanzee gave birth to a baby one day, like a human baby. Sorry for and- that. But it's so funny. <laughs> no, it's it's I mean, laughable. It's, it's, I'm imagining, yeah. no, I'm imagining a chimpanzee in a jungle giving birth to like 
a homo sapien baby and be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> what do I do with this? So, until, it, like, this is embarrassingly true. Until five years ago, I did not understand how evolution worked. Right. Not that I believed in creation that long, but I never followed through to, like, actually learn about what actually happened. All I did was unlearn what I had been taught. Right. And I just want to chime in and say, because I think it gets, you know, get into people's beliefs and all that. And I do just want to say that, like, you know, the two are not, like, inherently pitted against each other. Yes, there are people that believe that the way that God created the world or whatever entity that you believe in created the world is via evolution. So you don't... It, it's not like an either-or kind of situation, and I just don't want to... You know, but I just the wanna, Earth is not 6,000 years old, and if you believe that it is, you have some learning to do about why that's impossible. The bottom line is I have been watching a lot of anthropology videos and not just like pop anthropology. This person that I'm watching, shout out to Gutsick Gibbon on YouTube. She literally goes through papers. She is a PhD student in primatology and has all of these insights where I was like unlearning the logical fallacy of young earth creationism, but I wasn't learning the scientific fallacies of young earth creationism. The bottom line is every human being today is a monkey. We are all primates. That's how we evolved. Race as a construct has been used in such a way to denigrate Black people as monkeys, that is true. But it's literally the pot calling the kettle Black because the white people are also all monkeys. I used to be very offended by the idea of being called a monkey, and in a racial way, that would still be offensive to me. However, anthropologically, <laughs> that is what we are. That's how we evolved. And so... I find it very problematic. Like, the cat people, for instance, in D&D, do they not understand that that would have been a... Like, I'm just thinking about the deep... The deep lore Mm -hmm. (laughs) that goes into, like, creating a lot of these characters and stuff like that. I think that this is a very cool way of explaining how there could be another simian species... I don't automatically connect the idea of a walking, talking ape with Black people. And if you do, I think that there's some unlearning that needs to be done on your part. I don't think that is necessarily the intention of someone. Not to say that it couldn't have been the intention of this author, but given how the controversy has unfolded, it just seems pretty clear that that was not the intention. They probably should have picked another animal to avoid controversy. What this really reminded me of is, do you remember when D-Ray got mad at Planet of the Apes? <laughs> yes, unfortunately. <laughs> That's what this whole thing actually reminds me of, right? That feels like someone like cracked open this. When I say someone, I mean like, you can look at the threads of like the people who like started getting the, the buzz for talking about this on Twitter. So it's one of those things where just like, I've actually said this to, I, I had, I've had this back, you know, back and forth I had with some liberal ass white people who kept, when I'm just like, I do not believe this material is racist because I do not see any 
representation of a chimp as automatically being analogous to me as a black man. I do not see the lore laid out here as being in any way analogous to the history of the transatlantic slaves trade, right? Like this is a story about like uplifting animals is a pretty standard sci-fi fantasy trope. Uplifted animals kind of exist at different levels in D&D, generally as like enemy monsters, right? So this was the first time we've gotten an uplifted species where it's not just like one or two examples. This is an entire species who is uplifted. They have a civilization, they have their own culture, they have their own language, they have their own thing. This is the first player character race we've gotten with a backstory like this, right? And then someone else was like, well, it's also problematic because it's Spelljammer. And like, you know, like they were taken away from their planet, their jungle planet on ships. And I'm like, you're just really, if you really want to see this as being analogous to slavery, I don't know what else to tell you. But yes, they got taken away on a ship because part of the Spelljammer setting is that there are ships that fly in space. Like, I, I don't really know what else to say about Do they it. teleport in that, like, kind of universe? Is there any other option to leave a planet than on a spaceship? Um, yeah, I mean, like, planet, planet travel is, like, a thing. Some characters could, like, travel in space under their own power. Different, like, the elves, for example, they don't even use, like, boats in space the way the other races do. The elves, like, grow, like, big space butterflies out of, like, coral, and they fly around in those. So when it says here, like, the wizard arrived with a small fleet of spell jamming ships. We technically don't even know, like, they could have been galleons. They could have been elven butterfly ships. They leave it as vague as they do so that you as a dungeon master can come and say, hey, here's how I want to utilize this lore. Or here's how I would do yeah. this. Or here's what I would. Right? I, I like it as a sort of blank canvas. The back and forth I was having with people about this, like, I mean, white people I just had send me basically the same, like, list of, well, here's, like, the one-on-one history of racism in America. And I'm like, you don't need to explain that to me, bro. Like, I promise Thank you, you. I know it, but I have more books in my house on it, and I've read them. You are never going to have anything to educate me about the history of, like, the way that Black people have been oppressed in America, right? I think you need to be really careful, like, who you're trying to have these conversations with, because I mm. think it's very easy for, like a, like, a couple of Black voices to surround themselves with like an army of like white progressive parents who will basically shield them from any level of like criticism or dissenting thought because they want to make sure they get their woke white ally points. And then those white people won't even acknowledge that like, oh no, well, if you're a black person who disagrees with the black person I agree with, like you're self-hating or you're an uncle Tom or you, you know what I mean? It's like, yo, yo, I think it makes these people get a little too comfortable, right? We're just like, where do you, as a white person, get to decide how I'm supposed to feel, number one, about myself and my history and my understanding of it. And number two, like, where do you get off telling someone that they're self-hating because they don't agree that a drawing of a cartoon monkey is racist? Like, that's a crazy thing for you to say as a white person, right? Like, yeah. you just yeah. kind of loop back around to being just as racist. Like, yes, you're not burning a cross on my front lawn, but you are essentially telling me that the way that, like, I exist in my Black brain, in my Black body, is not pleasing to you and that you don't like it. And that shit's fucked up to me. Like, I don't like it. Yeah. I think where I go with this is that, like, you know, when things are created, media is created, technology is created, it's going to, and I've said this before, inherently have any of the problems that the society that it's made in has, yes. right? That being said... What you're saying with, you know, white people sort of turning around on black people who might disagree on this particular issue, 
some of those biases also that you also have have to be checked at the door too. Like with the DeRay situation, it's like the one time, the one time I will ever agree with Whoopi Goldberg, but she's like, nigga, what are you, why are you looking at that and you think it's you? That's like, what are you doing? And it, you know, like I, the, the, the criticism like kind of has to work both ways. Because I feel like if a white person was like, you need to feel this way about this, I'd be like, um, why are you looking at that thing and seeing a nigga? Like, right, I don't understand. Exactly. Where is that coming from? What I'll say, so I've, I've actually really thought about this, right? Because I really sat here and been like, is there something that I'm just really not seeing here? And where, where I came to is that I just feel like, you know, I want to give other Black people the space to feel how they want to feel about things. I mm-hmm. hate the idea or the suggestion or like what I think is the general cultural move, especially because of the way our politics and media functions in this country. Like, I hate the idea that like we are supposed to sort of share like a singular Black hive mind. And we all agree on things like I, I, that will ne- that will never be, like I think if all black people could like agree on every issue, I think the United States would probably look a lot different because I think we would make some changes. <laughs> I think we would, I think if we all sat down and we all I don't think things would like, keep going. Uh... I think we would we would do some things mm. differently. Mm. But what I think kind of becomes troublesome, like in this particular space, is it's that I guess to me is that like. A lot of this is, con- you know, this part of this controversy is the idea is that, like, these things about the game need to be changed in order for the game to be more inclusive, right? For the, for the game to bring in more people. And what it feels like a lot of the way to me is that, like, it feels like a way to sort of exert editorial power over the game without having to actually create. You just have to knock down. Mm-hmm. And I think where that becomes problematic to me is that, Anything that like someone who was like a liberal or progressive thinks that they they're gonna get over on a company or an institution or whatever, right wingers can just as easily take that shit and weaponize it and flip it right back on people. And something that I'd say is that like, and they've been trying to do that with the Radiant Citadel book that Wizards of the Coast published. Right? I don't know. If, are, are y'all familiar with this at all? Nope. No. So the Radiant Citadel was um, it's a project that they published a couple of weeks earlier than the Spelljammer book. And so the idea is that, like, basically it's a whole new um, D&D source book, brand new setting, and essentially every every writer on it was um, a person of color. All of the settings that they created were all based now on real-world cultures, right? So there is, a, there is a setting based on, like, the American South and Carolina coast. There is a setting based on the Philippines. There's one based on Korea. There's one based on China, Japan. There's one based on Venezuela. There's one based on Western Africa. There's one based on New Orleans. There's one based on India. I'm I'm not hitting all of them perfectly, but so the idea is that like they were going to hire all of these new diverse writers to sort of help diversify the space and bring in this new setting book. And the thing is that like, number one, obviously like, the, the sort of right-wing people who are who speak around in the D&D space don't like this very much, right? And, the, and they've really gone through this material with, like, a fine-tooth comb to be like, well, this is problematic because it seems like the Radiant Citadel is a ethno-state and blah, blah, blah. You know, you know, you know they, the, the, the bad faith weapon, like, they, they certainly right. love to do literary criticism when they want to slam somebody <laughs> they think woke. But when people are trying yeah. to talk to them about shit that they love, then suddenly they can't read, right? They, none of these concepts like deconstruction or anything mean anything to them when this book was first announced i know that like me and there were definitely some other 
like nerds of color in this kind of space who maybe felt a little weird about it because it's just sort of like it does kind of suck that like is the only surefire way to sort of get a writing job at Wizards of the Coast being like having to create a kind of like fantasy version of the culture that you come from. I do think that like most of the material in this book, I think is is very good. It's very high quality. It's very well written. They did a good job of providing options to someone who wanted to do their basic fantasy RPG questing, adventuring in a sort of non-European setting as a default. So I think this is great on that end, right? But like something that's not hard for, it's very hard for me to ignore the fact that like all of the settings in this book that were created, all the three settings in this book, for example, that were created by African-American writers, two of them really allude to the history of the transatlantic slave trade mm-hmm. to the point where, where one of them uh and it introduces haints as a creature right like the ghosts of people who died during the great ravaging by the enemy right so this is this is a direct reference to the african slave trade and it's weird to me that part of the controversy around the hadozi material was that no there should never be anything that could possibly allude to slavery in material that Dungeons and Dragons publishes versus a book that comes out two weeks earlier has material that very much alludes to slavery, right? And when I say alludes, I mean, this is something the creators even spoke about in interviews published on Wizard's site. But the thing is that like, people want to like, oh, it's so cool that Wizards is like hiring these diverse creators to do this book. But like, none of these, I would say like very few people probably actually ended up purchasing and reading this book, right? And even mm. fewer will probably run any of the content in it like this this book isn't even like three months old and it's already kind of fading into obscurity and any goodwill the company might have built up from people actually like liking it and enjoying it has kind of been drummed out by like people saying like no no we got to talk about the racist space monkeys and why they look like a minstrel show and it it just sort of feels to me like like people's priorities are a little off if Mm. that makes sense Mm -hmm. right like yeah like if you like if you really believe they really believe there should be no depictions of slavery in this game, right? And what I'll say is, you know, like, I've always found as a dungeon master, right, if I introduce an enemy and I tell my players they're a slaver, they're just like, oh, so I can just fucking kill this guy. Like, I don't, there's no moral qualms about that, right? Like, it is, like, how you want to depict slavery at your table, I think, is an individual choice between you and your players. But I think mm-hmm. from a narrative standpoint, having a villain who your players will never feel bad about murdering is always pretty useful. I think, right? And it can't always be zombies or skeletons or vampires, right? Like, just, oh, this guy likes to buy people, so just kill him. And then, the other thing is, I reading through the Radiant Citadel book again, it also made me wonder, and I think this kind of feeds into this whole conversation, is about, like, who gets ownership of, of culture and cultures? Because I think, you know, like, I, I'm, I'm a Haitian American, I have a Haitian family, I grew up Haitian, I don't speak Creole well, but like, you know, I'm, I'm culturally Haitian. You know, like, I personally don't think I would feel right about publishing D&D content that kind of was a fictionalized version of like Haitian mythology and folklore. Because once I do that, now I'm kind of, I'm giving ownership of that to this company that can use it however they want. Right. right? I, would ne- I wouldn't necessarily want to take, you know, like, just, like, I got some cool, funky Haitian folklore stories I could tell you, but, like, I'm not going to give those to Wizards of the Coast, right? I'm not going to give, you know, the sort of richness of Haitian culture to this company, right? And then it becomes like, but well, why should it be me, as, me, me as someone who lives in the diaspora and not 
you know, why why shouldn't they just go to Haiti and get a Haitian writer to do that, right? Right. right. Well, why didn't they go to some of these other like we got we got a lot of writers from the diaspora creating this content instead of writers who might have directly grown up in those cultures, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't want to draw a line between the diaspora and and, and the mainlands because I don't want to start that kind of kind of fight. Yeah, no, we don't have time for that. But I do think it, but I was thinking about that because one of the things I felt like was going on in this controversy was people kind of trying to take ownership of Black history in a way and utilize it in a way that I did not feel like was fair, right? Mm -hmm. Because, like, if we really are going to exist in a space where, you know, people love to do, oh, we have to listen to Black voices. Well, all Black voices aren't going to say the same thing, right? Right. So it's just like, how do you determine which Black voice you are going to prioritize, right? And even though you ask someone that they're going to tell you that's a bad faith question, they know in their heart how they're going to do it is like whether the people generally already agree with their politics, right? That's why liberal and progressive white people flock around, you know, their sort of clique of liberal, blue check, progressive black people, motherfuckers right for the Atlantic and shit like that. And that's why the right wingers have their little clique of coons that they can call on to... Like they can call on to run for office and say that the world needs whatever Herschel Walker is doing. Like, I, I don't fucking know, right? <laughs> Most people are gonna admit that that's what they're doing, right? But it's like right. you are determining which black voices to listen to based on whether or not those black voices already agree with the things you already agree with before the conversation started. So it's like let's just that's start right. there, right? That you are not actually interested in prioritizing all black voices. You are interested in prioritizing the black voices that are singing songs that you like to hear. Yeah, no, I think uh, what a lot of this boils down to, and I think it clicked for me, especially when you're talking about like, okay, like you're your own DM at your own table, do essentially whatever the fuck you want. Is that you know either not to bring politics, capital P politics, into all this, but you know dealing with a structure or with a tabletop game. It involves, I think, a little bit of imagination. I feel like that's where a lot of your frustrations are lying. It's just like people are not using their imaginations to, like, you know, solve a problem. No, and I, and, I think, and to me, I think that's also where, like, look, I a thing that I've noticed a lot about this sort of this refrain is when people say, like, "Oh, well, they needed a sensitivity reader on this book," and I'm just like, the idea that like I would get hired as a black sensitivity reader to do a check through because they decided to publish a monkey race. Like if I'm the black sensitivity reader who gets that job, I'm gonna be like, you hired me for this is racist. Like why did yep. you look at this monkey drawing and think you needed to call a nigga in the room? That's literally what I would say to someone. I'm like, this is fucked up. And if you did, then you shouldn't be publishing it. Right, right. But what I think is actually happening here is I think that like, just like you said, like the sort of this lack of creativity, I think that like we exist right now in a creative space where there are people who are creators who are not creatives. And I think mm. part of how you build up your clout as a creator when you have nothing to create and you don't really have anything to contribute is just by knocking other shit down, right? You know, when you don't actually have like, hey, come check out this thing that I wrote or this thing that I drew or like this thing that I'm bringing to the game to make the game space better. When you don't actually have that, you get eyes by telling people that they're like, you know, one of the, one of the claims I've seen people say is that like, well, D and D is just horribly racist and it always has been, and we just need to do a lot to change. And I'm like, if you really felt that way, why did you even 
purchase this material to complain about in the first place, right? Because there are other tabletop games. Like, you could just as easily, you could play Pathfinder, right? You could play Pathfinder. You could play dozens of other... There's Coyote and Crow, which is like a tabletop RPG created by Native creators, right? That's built around Native mythal history and folklore, right? I think there's maybe, like, at least two or three different games that exist based on, like, West African folklore at this point, right? Like, so the options exist for you if you want to be in this tabletop space and not deal with the racism of D&D to go pick another game, right? And play that. But honestly, like, I think a big reason a lot of these people won't do that is because they know that, like, your Twitch stream is not going to pop if you're playing a game that nobody's ever heard of. So it forces everyone to sort of stay attached to Dungeons and Dragons instead of just trying to do something different. Like you could literally get all the Pathfinder material on the website for free. You don't have to pirate that shit. Like you could literally go play another game right now for free and people will choose not to do that because it's not as easy to sort of get attention in those communities for talking about those other games. Yeah. I think that is a conversation for another day. Because unfortunately, I could sit here and talk for hours <laughs> critically about media and the landscape and content creation and yada, yada, yada. So one thing that we didn't really talk about at all yet that I'm still thinking about and like really honing in on is the story itself being claimed as an allegory for slavery. Because as you were telling it to me, and I also read the description, it seems like that's what you would want to happen to an enslaved group of people. So the conversation to me about whether or not slavery should ever be mentioned in the game or in games in general is separate from the idea that what happened to this group specifically is actually the best possible outcome. They get all these level ups they get to kill the motherfucker that did it and they get to create their own civilization free from the thumb of that person. Why is that not like a triple win even if you give the allegory credence, which I don't necessarily feel like we should do, right. but like, let's say all that's true. Isn't that an, a better alternate history <laughs> For black people well, anyway. Well I, think, well, I think number one, so I think number one, you would still run into the issue of if you accepted this allegory, which I, I don't, right? That number one, you're still having black people be analogous to monkeys, which is, like we said, like black people being monkeys, being compared to monkeys is is, is problematic, right? We I understand all of the connotations. Like, look, I, I've been called a monkey multiple times in my life. Like, I live, I live in Northeast Philadelphia. I've lived in Tennessee. Trust me, like motherfuckers have called me a monkey. Motherfuckers have called me worse. Like I can, so I'm not, I'm, so I'm not blind or ignorant to that history, right? But I think the issue here is that a lot of people have said, like I, I mentioned this earlier and I kind of glossed over, is that like a lot of people believe that because the Hadozi were assisted by the wizard's apprentices, that this is a white savior narrative, quote unquote. Mm. I mean, okay. <laughs> the white savior got murked. Like no, 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 I, no, no. no. That, 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 the, that the apprentices who help them are the white saviors. That the the, the evil wizard is just a different oh. white. Well, th- that's to me why this is such a strange allegory, right? Because I'm supposed to accept that the wizard is analogous to European slavers. That his apprentices are that his apprentices are analogous to abolitionists. 
Right. Which is what I want. Isn't I want that what those white people want? <laughs> like, I don't really, like, under, like, that's why I really feel like people are, like, telling on themselves with this. Because I'm just like, this doesn't mm. really make sense if you hold it up to that much scrutiny. That's like, the role that all these motherfuckers want to play. And that black people ask white people to play. What, what is the whole context around user privilege and all that kind of stuff, if not to interrupt things like this? Like, again, I don't think that the allegory holds up, but if that's where you're coming from, I don't know. Seems like... It, I, I can't think a wait lot for of people are going to become be, real discourse. I think a lot of people are going to be really <laughs> resistant to hearing someone say that they're only doing it for the clout. Like, not to boil your argument down to that, because obviously it's more nuanced than that. And I agree with you more when thinking about it in terms of how it doesn't even logically follow that the allegory is in and of itself bad for these people in particular, especially given their, more often than not, liberal worldview. It's like, I don't know. At at a certain point, we need to recognize that not all narratives can involve individuals or groups of people overcoming oppression in and of themselves without any outside assistance at all. Because... What does liberal versions of that turn into? It turns into the new Viola Davis movie where the real history of it is that those were the motherfuckers enslaving black people and working with white people because they were protecting themselves by doing that. But now we get to tell a story where we twist it into these black people were actually fighting off white people and not actually fucking over other black people. We're just going to ignore that part of it. And it's just like... That shit falls apart so quickly, and we really need to be having a, a revolutionary consciousness about these things. Like, if you really want to fix D&D, so to speak, then shouldn't all of it be about, you know, overcoming oppressors and all that? Like, no. Well, the answer well, my, actually is we need to tell whatever story we fucking want to tell in this game. Well, that well, that specific objection to me, it, it bothers me specifically because D&D is a cooperative role-playing game, right? So the idea is that, like, theoretically, you'd be in a party of characters who are all highly competent, probably of different character backgrounds. Like, I don't think I've ever played in a D&D party where any two characters were, like, the same race, right? Like, even, like, I think even me, like, I, like, I like to play human. I like to play human fighters, and even that is, like, considered boring by most people, right? Um, so I think the idea that, like, oh, the Hadozi didn't have agency in this story because the wizard's friends helped them. I'm like, well, the whole point of D&D is that the space monkeys team up with the space elves and the space hippos team up with the space lizard people. Like, that all of these different creatures collaborate together to fight dragons and to raid tombs and defeat beholders and to defeat evil star empires. Like, that is kind of the point. And I think right. where this tension kind of comes from is I think that, like, something that we kind of see a lot I think something I think is kind of a divide in the tabletop space right now is I think that there are players and DMs who are more interested in the sort of group, the narrative that their whole group is going to undertake. And I think that there are players and DMs who are more invested, there are players and DMs who are more invested in their character's own individual narrative arc within the D&D campaign that they're playing. I think mm. D&D can obviously have space for both styles of gameplay, but I think that the people who 
are kind of more focused on their character arcs, I think they want to see the game changed in ways that favor that. For example, like one of the things I think that makes the adventure that they published with this Spelljammer set so bad is that basically in order to destroy the evil Death Star, someone needs to like enter it with like a magic doohickey with a magic MacGuffin that destroys it. And obviously the person who does that is going to die. And literally the plot as written, there is an NPC who is introduced whose only purpose is to volunteer for this task. So that way all of the heroes can end the story and all be alive and not having to make any real sacrifices. Right. Which, which I thought was like a really bad narrative move. Right. I'm like, no, I'm sorry. Like mm. if I like ran this adventure, which I'm like, I'll run this adventure with like a lot of edits. Right. Cause I think there's parts of it are good. There's parts are bad. I would not have that NPC there to make the sacrifice for the characters. I would want my players to have to determine which one of you is going to sacrifice yourself to save the galaxy. Right. And knowing the people I tend to play D and D with, they would find some NPC to strap to a chair, give him the MacGuffin, and shoot him into the Death Star. And I think, you know what? You guys save the galaxy, but you're evil. All right, just so you know, everyone recognizes you as being evil. Because I think more often than not, like, you know, evil characters have... I just ran a, I ran a session for evil characters on Thursday night, and it was a blast. Like, it's fun to just have the kind of moral blank slate to just do what you want with. But I think that's, I think yeah. that's kind of what is being expressed here a little bit, right? That like because mm-hmm. the Hadozi kind of don't get the shine, quote unquote, here, which is like, I'm sorry, we're this is like one sentence in a three paragraph thing. Like we don't know the details of what happened, how many apprentices there were, who had for you to say that this is a for, for people to specifically say that it is a white savior narrative is also troublesome because it's like you're only saying that this is a white savior narrative because you believe that the monkeys represent black people. So it's like the only way we can have this whole discussion is if we agree with you that these monkeys are now just the black people, which I, I fundamentally still refuse to do. Like, I'm not going to do that for people. I don't care how many times someone wants to show me that same minstrel caricature. Like, just because you've convinced yourself, like D-Ray did, that that ape on screen wearing a blue vest was a shot at him does not mean anyone else has to accept or humor that. And I think that's kind of like a big Ooh. problem with the sort of um, listen to black voices, uplift black voices thing. Which is that, like, you don't got to humor every thought that every every Negro has. Like, I'm sorry. Like, if, if we did, if if white people really committed themselves to that, it would be chaos. It would be chaos. Because I would be like, well, you should uplift some thoughts that I have about the president. Let's go. Uplift my thoughts. To <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. All right. All right. I got spicy. But you know, you know exactly what I mean, though. And, and I'm kind of belaboring yeah, yeah. the point here is that, like, yeah, like they want the black voices that just like make them feel good for being an ally, right? And I'm an ally because I tweeted that this company is racist. I'm not going to do anything else in my personal life or my political life or like my social life or like my life as an employer, or employee in this country to make things better for people of other races. I'm just going to tweet about Wizards of the Coast. Wizards of the Coast could have blown a lot of minds by making that wizard and his lackeys black. <laughs> that would have that would have really shook some people up. Um, okay, I think that we have really 
covered this as deeply as we can. Uh, but I will also say there are some other conversations clearly that are connected to this. Like, I think an underlying theme that we didn't really hit on in this conversation is this move for all media to be sanitized and that you can't do bad things anymore and there can't be bad people that we read about or write about or any of that kind of stuff. Like, the idea of removing slavery of it, it itself it, as as being a, a symptom of that desire, I think is is a piece of this that we didn't really get to. So we'll have to keep our our eyes on this controversy. Um, it sounds to me like D and D has committed to doing something. They published an errata which basically rewrites the Hadozi backstory. Right. Oh. So they essentially get rid of the they get rid of any mention of them being like magically uplifted, the wizard, all that goes away. So their backstory is now just like kind of generic. It's just like, oh, well, they're flying space monkeys who lived on a planet and now they travel space with everybody else. They, you know, they, they clearly had someone write this in 15 minutes to get it out there to shut the people up. And they did. That's actually pretty sad because the other backstory is much richer and more interesting. No, and... I, I do think the other backstory is much richer. And so if I can, can I, can I throw a plug in? Can I throw a plug in? Throw a plug. So hopefully by the end of the month, I will be publishing my second Dungeons and Dragons adventure, Ooh. and I'm hopefully going to, you know, I'm, I'm I plan on utilizing some of this now banned Hadozi lore uh, in this adventure. <laughs> um, <laughs> I play tested black it. market D and D adventures. <laughs> well, I, well, I plan on publishing it on DMs Guild. So, I mean, I don't know that Wizards has declared mentioning the previous Hadozi lore. 100% unproblematic. If so, then they shouldn't take half of the revenue when I sell this adventure because that's what they do for all the adventures you publish on that website. Um, oh. And if I could keep plugging also, you know, people can also check out my previous, my first Dungeons & Dragons adventure, uh, Wild Hunt Waterdeep, is on DM's Guild. It's like less than $5 if you want a nice sandbox, um, Hunger Games-style urban crawl adventure. Mm. Well. We will keep our eyes on this space. Uh, thank you for walking us through the controversy, the aftermath, and your thoughts. Um, I know that this has been uh, heavy on your mind uh, recently. And outside of Marvel and comic stuff, this is like, this is your claim to nerddom, really. Yeah, no, I, I really, you know, I really kind of do enjoy uh, the creativity and freedom that D&D allows. It's honestly like some of the most laughs I have in a week is when I get to just roll dice with friends. Uh, hopefully someday I'll be able to lure you two into to the table uh, for an adventure. Well, let's do it again. That. I don't know. He's doing it again. Okay. Well, <laughs> uh, thank you, Jay, for joining us. Shout out your Twitter, please, and we'll make sure that it's in the show notes. Oh, yeah. I mean, my, my Twitter is uh, at Ketrasol Black. If you're a Deep Space Nine fan, you know, it's not Ketrasol White, it's Ketrasol Black. You don't need to follow <laughs> me on Twitter. I don't know. I'm probably not going to say anything you want to read. Um, but, you know, if you want to check that Twitter <laughs> space for updates on my next D&D adventure, you should. Well, that was a show. That was a show. You're going to be hearing a lot more from Jay. He's going to be a, a recurring contributor to Maybe. Gamer Friends. Maybe. 
No, I mean, you got to keep you got to keep him on the toes. You got to tease it. You can't just say it outright. He could possibly come back a lot. So we don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe he will, maybe There's he a won't. universe where it doesn't happen. That's for sure. That's true. That's the universe where I don't know. People didn't get as mad about She-Hulk than they did twerking as they did. You know. Mm. No, I think that's every universe. That's every universe. Everyone's yeah. mad. I think there's men in every universe, unfortunately. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Well, anyway, be on the lookout for Player Two has entered the podcast. Our Their next pod. That's right. Their next episode is coming out in a week. All the gaming news from the past two weeks can get you caught up. In the meantime, if you enjoyed this, please share it out with your friends. Let a gamer friend know, a tabletop gamer friend, perhaps. Maybe two. Maybe a lot of them. All of them? Every single one. That would be great. Yeah, something like that. We also got to thank our patrons. We really appreciate you. All 10 of you beautiful people. Alex, Mike, Aimee, Shuli, Cody, Enya, Emma, Sarah, Abner, and Nerdy. We appreciate you. We love you all. And we will catch you back here with, I think, a long-awaited episode. Oh, boy. I played horror games. You did it. You just... you. You dropped the lead too soon. I'm not allowed to say it? No, you just, you just got to say, I played games. Got to keep them on the edge of their seats. <laughs> edge of We're their We're going to keep lows. you on the edge of your seats at Gamer Friends mm-hmm. by teasing you that we play with games. a game. Got to love it. We're the regular Jeff Keeleys of podcasting. Oh, yeah. See you in two weeks. Bye, everyone. Deuces. Deuces.